We're going to have meet and greet time in just a couple minutes, and I'm going to ask you to describe yourself to someone else. So if you're more introverted, this is your warning. So I'm just letting you know. But what I'm really asking you to kind of get at here is um, if someone were to walk up to you and ask you about, like, just, you know, in a minute, can you tell me kind of who you are? Tell me about you. What would you say? Okay? So... And it's okay if there's a little bit of silence, if you have to think about it for, oh, I don't know, 30 of those 60 seconds, that's okay, because you might come up with a super profound answer, and then you can just start talking after that. So it's a good thing to be comfortable with a little bit of silence, that's okay. And then I need you to take notes. It's not not a hard test, but there's, um, there's a card, only use one side of the card, or you can put it on the worship folder thing. Tell me about you. Who are you? And for a minute, you either get to use 30 seconds to talk or 60 seconds to talk, or you can use 30 seconds to think of a really profound answer, and then you're going to switch. So if you want to get up and move, that's totally okay. If you want to just turn to someone next to you, that's okay too. If you finish early, then you can go back and get coffee, and then we'll come back together, okay? So you're going to ask someone who you are. Ready? Go. All right, we need to come back together. We'll, we'll talk about those things in a few minutes. So if you wrote it down, you'll feel good about having an answer because I will ask you about that. But as we come back together, um, I just want to open with uh, the word and where we're going to start today. So if you have a Bible, uh, it's Romans 8. If you don't have a Bible, there are some in the back. If you've never had a Bible, we'd give you one. Um, we also have some to borrow um, we're going to go to Romans eight fourteen. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are his children, then we are his heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. Can I open us in a word of prayer? God, you are the creator. You are the mighty one. You're holy. You're a holy mystery. God, you're un knowable in a, in a super comprehensive way, and yet you've clearly revealed yourself in the person of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that, that we would hear these truths from your word. God, I, I pray that as we look at this lie, um, as we've looked at lies throughout this series, God, but as in particular this lie, that, that I am what I do, I know of no other one that has hit me personally harder. And I know it's not about me, God, but as I pray for our community today, that you would, you would open up our hearts, that we'd be humble enough to, to let your Holy Spirit examine us, that um, any wrong thinking that we might have, any lies that we believed, and, and above all, God, that, that by your Spirit you would speak to us not just about who we are, but whose we are today. Amen. So 
If you've missed in our series where we've been, we've been talking about identity theft, and this has been a series about lies, or at least the truth about lies, and, and how the evil one wants to steal from us. He wants to keep us from knowing our true identity and steal our true identity away. And so we talked about this first lie of that we have to be perfect, that we have to have it all together, and the truth that we that combated that from God's word was from 2 Corinthians 10 that says, um, or 2 Corinthians 12, excuse me, that says, when I am weak, then God's strength shows up all the more. And so we put lies on a piece of paper, we put them in a safe, we lock that up, um, and then we talked about the lie that this is just the way I am. Like, I'm never going to change, I can't do it, I'm not strong enough, and And we looked at God's word from 2 Corinthians 10 that says, even though we live in this world, we don't fight the way the world fights. The weapons we use are not worldly weapons. Instead, our weapons have divine power to destroy strongholds. And we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that's raised up against God. And we take every thought captive and we bring it under the control of Jesus And then we opened up the safe and we took out those cards and we wrote some of the strongholds, some of the lies, some of the things that we believe on these mirrors. And we just put them up and as we expose those, even though nobody's name was on it, as we expose those things, they lost some of their power because they weren't secrets anymore in our lives. And and last week we looked at this idea that that I'm just my past mistakes and and I'm never going to be good enough. And, and we looked at God's word from Romans 8.1 to combat that lie that says now there is no condemnation, which means there's no, there's no judgment, there's no dissatisfaction of guilt, there's no disappointment from God because, because Christ, we are in Christ, and therefore the, the, the law of the Spirit has defeated and set us free from the law of sin and death. And we took those things, those lies and those mistakes, and we erased those off the mirrors. And, and now we have the safe, and we can open up the safe, and, and we can see that, that the lies, they're gone. That those things that, that we believed are no longer true. But, but not many of us live free. Not many of us live like, like Romans 8 says, that we've been set free from this law of sin and death, we, we don't really feel free. And, and sometimes when we are, we think that like, it's just right behind us. Like whatever that, that lie is or that thing is, that, that like, oh, I'm good now, but if I make one mistake, I'm, I'm toast. I'm, I'm back in. I'm, I'm locked up. I, I believe the lies. All those things that people have said to me must be true. And it really comes around this idea that, that I am what I do. And so that's what we're going to investigate today. And so as we start, um, you guys wrote some things down on a piece of paper to describe someone else. So just be brave and shout some of those things out because they weren't about you. They were around someone around you. So, um, so we'll start over in this section right over here. Does somebody want to tell me about someone you described? Yes, Carrie. Daughter, mother, wife, sister, friend, child of God. Excellent. Now, now, were any of those things uh, something you did? You know, like, 
being a, a mother, you kind of had to do something to get that one right. But most of those things aren't super tied to... And, oh my goodness. There was, um, I just found out my daughter was reading from the Bible before church, so thank you whoever told me that she was reading about sexual relations. Now I get to have a conversation afterwards. Woo! Great. Thanks, Carrie. Um, I just, there's no recovering from that one. Now you just entered my world. Uh, somebody over here, do they have a description? Visitor from Wisconsin, okay. Something you did to get over here. Sure, sure. Which, you know, we're sorry about the Packers. That's too bad. Some of us are genuinely sorry, and some of us are just trying to be polite. Uh, did you guys have any others? Work out physically, okay, something you do, you know. That's not necessarily tied to who you are, but working out is something you do. And if what if you can't work out anymore? Then do you forget? Do you no longer have that piece of your identity? Anybody else want to say from over here? Follower of Christ? 15-year-old student from Egan. Student, like you're in school, something you do. Um... Not bad, but if you stop going to school, is that still your identity? <laughs> Definitely something you do. Uh, yeah. Anybody over here? Cherish family. Cherish family. Okay. Something you do. Not necessarily who you are. If your family's no longer there, are you still? does that still describe you or not? See, there's all these things that we do... That, that we talk about to describe us that so often revolve around activities. Like I work out, or, or I'm a mother, which kind of gets really close to that line of who we are, and yet, and yet it's something we do. And, and if you're a woman and you're not a mom, do you still have an identity? Which I would say yes. But, um, but it's, it's sometimes hard to separate who you are from what you do. Remember, I don't know if, if your high school was like this, but we had senior awards. You guys remember this? Like somebody got best eyes. Um, we had best eyes. We had most popular. We had best smile. Um, we had most likely to own a limo. I don't know if anybody else had that one. Um, one guy got it because his dad was going to buy it for him, but one person got it because she was going to be successful. Um, did anybody have best looking in their school? Maybe you were best looking. I mean, yeah, we're just not going to go there. Um, I was, I did get one of these awards. Uh, I got most spirited. I know you're all shocked (laughs) that I got most spirited, uh, because I was that guy that wore the crazy, Outfits with the school colors, cheering for all the more popular sports than I actually played. And so, you know, I got my name in the, in the yearbook. And I got a picture in the yearbook with Carrie Palmer, who is also a most spirited girl. And, um, and that's who I was. That's what I did. And so to other people like that look at my yearbook, what I did kind of became who I was. And this contributed to this lie that I believed that I am what I do. Now, if you think about it, we're going to do a little adolescent development here. When a child comes home from the hospital or when you adopt a child and you bring them home from the agency, like what identity do they really have? 
I would say nothing. They're just a person. And, um, and then they get their identity from um, their parents. Whether they're birthed or adopted, their parents uh, shape them. Their parents give them a name. Their parents um, influence them to better or worse. They, then if they're born into a family with siblings, maybe they have seven siblings, um, then those siblings also influence their identity on this person. And then maybe their extended family comes in and they have a say in this first. Grandparents, aunts, uncles. And, and so all of these people are contributing to this identity. And maybe they, you know, we did... Uh, baptisms last week. We'll do dedications in a couple months, and and they're saying, we want this family to contribute to the identity of this child. So that's a good thing. So a church community comes in. But then if you think about it, like preschool, daycare, elementary school, they start, and all of a sudden friends get to start influencing our identity. And then we have teachers, and we have Uh, Maybe our kid is in Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts. We have scout leaders and we have, um, we we do sports or we do musical things or we do art things. And so we've got these other extracurricular things where those leaders are contributing to our identity. And is it any wonder that our high school and college students sometimes wonder who they are? Because they've got so many voices coming at them. And oftentimes um, we get like positive and negative feedback from those things. Um, oh, you're a great singer. Oh, you're an awesome soccer player. Oh, you're an awful chess player. Um, you know, I said that no-cut soccer, like we think you should go out for another sport. And, um, and, and now all of a sudden, like through these positive and negative feedback things, like a self-concept or a core identity of who we are gets formed. And it's often based on not who we are or whose we are, but what we do. So let's go back to the verses that we were just talking about. Starting in Romans 8, 14. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God, The spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so you live in fear again. Now, fear, powerful motivator. I mean, fear, like, prompts us to do things. I don't know how many of you lived in a house where you didn't do it because you were an obedient child. You did it because the wrath of dad would come down if you didn't do it. And there was some fear and power in that. I don't have that, but I remember that from being a kid. And fear also paralyzes us from doing other things. Hey, did you call that cute girl that you were going to call? No, I, I got scared. Did you try out for the spring musical or did you go out for this certain sports team? No, I didn't because I was afraid. And so when we find something we're good at, we often put it start to place those things in that core identity piece, that piece of us that's related to all the other parts. And when we find something where we're good, we might get an achievement, we might get a reward, we might get a trophy, and it's really, really easy for us. It's really tempting for us to start placing those achievements and those awards and those appreciation and the accolades from others in that kind of core identity piece of who we are. And and it's not always wrong. It's not always bad. It's not always sin. And yet, 
um, the core piece of who we are, really the only one that fills that place is Jesus. And so many of us live in that place for a long, long time. We might get a job promotion at, at work and we're like, and I think the older we get, the more tempting it is to put work in that core identity piece. Um, we might get straight A's in school and so we put that in our core identity because it makes us feel good. We might bring home a trophy and it feels good. We might put on a letterman's jacket and it feels good because it gives us an identity and an award. And so we start to put these accolades in this place that makes us feel valued this core place. And, and Satan's not creative. If we put awards that aren't sin and, and they just pull us away from Jesus, the enemy is just fine with that. Because we're getting our, I mean, I've talked to numerous really good athletes who say, um, you know, I, I, I understood who God was, but I started pursuing my sport and I got more and more and more and more and more involved in my sport. I got more involved in my sport. I got more involved in my sport. I got more involved in my sport. And suddenly, like, not only was God relegated to second place, but God just kept falling further and further and further down the list. Not because I'm just this evil person, but because I was pursuing this other thing. And Satan's just fine with that. He's fine with us pursuing those other things. Because the core piece of who we are is not being filled by God. I mean, who I am gets wrapped up in what I do. Often, these accomplishments and these awards and these things fill it. And it becomes the core identity. And listen to what Ecclesiastes says towards this effect. In Ecclesiastes 2 the writer is saying, my heart took delight in all my labor, and this was my reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and looked at all I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, like a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. So this writer is Solomon. He's the wisest man in the universe except for Jesus um, and he has done amazing things with his life. In fact, he is saying right now in this passage, look, look what I've done. Look at all that I've accomplished. I, I'm, you know, I'm pretty satisfied with all the things I've done. It says my heart took delight in it. Like I was satisfied. And yet, he says... It was meaningless. Nothing was gained. And maybe this is where you're at today. Maybe you're at a place where you believe the lie, I am what I do, and I'm super successful, and I have awards and trophies and all these accomplishments in my life, but I'm really unsatisfied. Or... I am what I do, and I've done a ton of bad things. I've made so many mistakes. I'm really broken, and I'm unsatisfied. I'm, I'm miserable. If we believe the lie, we are what we do, regardless of if we do something really bad or have done lots of bad things, lots of mistakes, or we've gotten to a great place of accomplishments and awards, I think we still end up unsatisfied. 
Because again, the core identity of who we are is not in Jesus, which is the only place where we can find that filling. So what do we do if we're in that place? I have missed this and I've read this over and over and I just keep missing it. So let's go back to Romans 8 because the truth from God is in here. If we just see it. Romans 8, 14 through 17 again says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies that with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are his children, then we are his heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Let's just think about those verses for a few minutes. Our core identity, we would agree, has to be replaced because we're unsatisfied, either because we've done great things or because we've not done so great things. The core identity needs to be replaced, and it needs to be replaced with this idea that we are simply a child of God. And I know that might sound simplistic, but look at what God's word says about this. First of all, it says that to be a child of God means we're adopted as sons and daughters. Verse 15 says we're not made slaves so that we live in fear. Rather, we've been brought into adoption to sonship. Now, sonship's not really a word that we use very often, but adoption is what we're talking about. And Anyone who has gone through adoption, which I know several of you have, knows how daunting the process is. I mean, first, there are mountains of paperwork, right? And then there's waiting. And then there's the screening process, like, are you fit to be parents? Which is very challenging. Like, you look at people who have born children, and you're like, I am way better than them. But Again, you have to go through the screening process, and then there's the waiting. And then, finally, figuring out which country can we, can we get a child from, and, and can it be from the United States or not, and we go through that process, and then there's waiting, and then there's visitation, whether we have to fly somewhere or not, and then there's waiting again, and then there's the bureaucracy of trying to get through, and then there's the waiting, and then finally you get to go, and you get to bring this child home. And that's an super hard process, and yet the process that Paul is talking about here in Romans is equally as challenging. First of all, there's this thing, I'm going to probably get the name wrong, um, called patria potestas. And patria potestas is this idea that, that your father will always be your father, okay? So like in America, when we turn 18, we, or 21, or 26 or 29, whenever we become an adult, um, (laughs) adult, but usually 18, it's like, whoop, you're on your own. Good luck. And we're here to support you in a different way. Not true in Roman culture. You could be 80 years old. And if your dad is still alive, like he has influence over your life. It reminds me of the grumpy old men movie, you know, like the old, old dad, like telling his kid what to do. It's the same idea, except it's even more powerful. Like this dad has absolute control and absolute possession. If he doesn't want to let you do something, you don't get to do something. And if you're a grown man and you want to be adopted into another family, um, 
three times he has to sell you because the first two times he'll buy you back and then the third time he'll let you go. And then you have to go through the process of getting adopted into the other family, which is a little bit challenging too. And it has to have seven witnesses all around. And these seven witnesses have to confirm that, yes, this is what you're doing. Yes, your, your father sold your, the rights to you and your old life is now gone and everything. If your dad had any debts, that's gone. And this new life and, and this new family has taken you in and you get all the rights of this new family. You are in this new family. You're an heir to this new family. So if this new family has lots of money, let's say, and, and then one of the other children says, oh, no, 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 he's not really in, and the adopting father dies, there are seven people, seven witnesses, and only one of them has to say yes. But any one of these seven could go, nope, that's a legitimate child. They have been adopted in. So it's very difficult. And yet, through this whole process, um, any of these seven witnesses can confirm that, yes, we're here. Now look at what um, verses 16 and 17 say. The Spirit himself testifies that we are God's children. And if we're his children, then we're his heirs. So we don't need seven witnesses because the Holy Spirit is that witness. The Holy Spirit, in, in however the mystery of the Godhead works, of Father, Son, and Spirit, the, the Spirit is saying, no, they're legitimate children. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. I mean, think about it. If... if when you adopt a child, do you really know that much about the child? I mean, maybe you've gotten to have a DNA test. Maybe they've given some reports on, oh, they're, yes, they have some signs in this way or not. But, but you're adopting a child purely because you want to have these children and you want them to be yours and you bring them into your home. Not because of anything they've done. Just because of who they are. Not that there won't be bumps along the way, but because of who they are and whose they are. And it's the same, it's the same way with God. And and the Spirit's there testifying that we're God's children, so we don't have to fear that we're gonna be lost. We don't have to fear that we're gonna lose the core of who we are. Not only do we have the Spirit testifying for us, not only does God take us in, but also it says that that we're as close to God as, as Christ. Okay, so I don't know if you've ever heard this from, from an adopted child, but I, I have some friends who have adopted children and natural children, and, and sometimes I hear, um, you don't really love me as much as the other ones, right? You don't, right? Like, you can't. And they go through years often, of, of thinking that they're not close enough. Look at verse 15. It says that, that the spirit we receive doesn't make us slaves or servants who, who don't have any, any status in God's kingdom, but we are his children. We are adopted and we cry, Abba, Father. Now, now Abba is this intimate, personal address, uh, the way to address God 
and it best translates daddy or papa. And because daddy sounds really childish, scholars have tried to prove it away and say, no, 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 God wouldn't, Jesus wouldn't really address God as daddy, much too childish. But it's true. In fact, the only time in the, the gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus ever uses the word is in Mark 14. And in Mark 14, Jesus has gone through the Last Supper. He is out in the garden. His disciples have come along, and he's like, stay here, and I'm going to go pray. You pray too. And he prays, oh, daddy, oh, papa, oh, father, God, if there's any way, I know all things are possible, if there's any way that this cup of suffering can be taken from me so that I don't have to go through the crucifixion, if there's any way, would you take it from me? Not my will, but yours be done. Now think about the distress that Jesus is going through. He does not want to do this. And yet, in that moment, he can cry out in this personal way, Oh, Papa. And he says, the, the writer here, Paul, is saying, We can do that too. We don't have to feel like we're second-rate children. Like God is, God is taking us in as his children, as we accept who Jesus is and what he's done for our lives, just as Jesus had this close, personal, intimate relationship with God and the Spirit is testifying that we are his children, that we have that relationship with God, we can address him in the same close, personal, and intimate way. I am I'm profoundly amazed at... Um, I have this prayer group that I, I meet with pastors, and there's one pastor who's way older than me. We'll just say it that way. And um, he has this deep sense that God is just fond of him. He's not arrogant. He's not, um, he doesn't display this. He just, in the core of his being, you can tell, my, my dad is proud of me. Not because I'm this amazing pastor, not because I have thousands of people in my church or tens of people in my church, but because I'm his. And I look at this man and go, oh God, could I ever get there? Maybe someday I will. Um, but I have to hear this over and over that, that my dad is proud of me. He's fond of me. Not because of anything I've done, but because of who I am. And sometimes... It's not rocket science. We're just too busy to hear it. So I have this hero from youth ministry days named Mike Iaconelli. Mike Iaconelli is this, um, he co-founded this group called Youth Specialties. He's kind of the grandfather of youth ministry. And he talks about a time he went to La Arc Community. It's this, it's this special needs community in Toronto, Canada. And he went to go sit under the the teaching and the inspiration of this priest named Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen's written some great books. But he went there to find like refuge from his own life and inspiration from the people that live there. And he's like, oh, I really, like I want to get filled up so that I can go do again. And he writes that instead he met God. So he's on this like five-day retreat there. In the midst of one of the prayer times, he just hears God cry out to his soul and his name is Michael. And he just says, Michael, I'm here. Michael, I've been calling for you, but you haven't been listening. 
Can you hear me, Michael? I love you. I've always loved you. I've been waiting for you to hear me say this to you. But you've been so busy trying to prove to yourself that you are loved that you have not heard me. I, I don't know about you, but I, I could hear that over and over and over. So I'm going to say it again, but I'm not going to use Michael. Instead, I'm going to leave it blank and you put your name in if it's true for your life. I am here. I've been calling for you. But you haven't been listening. Can you hear me? I love you. I've always loved you. And I've been waiting for you to hear me say this. And you've just been so busy trying to prove to yourself that you're loved that you haven't heard me. As we move into communion in a few minutes, there'll be a station back here that you can kneel at or a station over here that you can walk around to. Um, I want you to think about this core identity of you. Like in your core, in your heart of hearts, in your soul, do you see yourself as a beloved child of God? Not because of anything you've done, just because of who and whose you are. Do you see yourself as a beloved daughter of God? A beloved son of God? And if not, then just sit for a minute and say, why not? Is it because deep down you don't think you deserve his love? can't tell you the number of people I hear that from. Is it because you don't think God, you don't think you're a beloved son of God or a beloved daughter of God because you think God is basing his love for you on what you have done? Or haven't done? If not, why not? Is it because maybe like one or two significant things you do or you have done begin to define who you are? Like for me, most spirited, um, maybe for you, you started running, for example, and, and running became who you are. I had a friend in, in, in university named Tammy, and Tammy was a track runner, and Tammy would not leave her dorm room without her, her SDSU track and field jacket. It was bright blue, school colors, and one day in the spring, she left it in a class, and she walked back to her dorm room, and I stopped by, because I had a crush on the track team, um, and, <laughs> and Tammy would talk to me, and... Um, and Tammy went into a panic attack because she didn't have her coat. And she's like, you don't understand. I cannot leave. This is who I am. If I leave without my coat, no one will know me. Tammy had let track define her. If, if you're in a place where you've let something define you, 
whether it's music or trophies or running or whatever, if that's been you, there's a green sheet or a neon-colored piece of paper. I just encourage you to write it on there, not because I'm going to look at it, but write it on there. And if it has defined you, then when you go to communion, I'd encourage you to go put it in the trash can to symbolically say, this will not define me anymore. If you know who you are and you know whose you are and you instead want something you do to be a result of who you are, an overflow of who you are, then, then write it on the piece of paper and instead of throwing it away, take a thumbtack and tack it up on the cross as a way to say, this will be an expression of who I am. It will not define me. I finally, after years of trying to do this, after some counseling, have gotten to a place where being a pastor is an expression of who I am. It doesn't define who I am. And it is beautiful. It was a hard road to get there. But I had to finally do it. And not just to have something to write, but to make that step to say, yes, this is an action I'm going to take. It's, God, I'm giving this to you. You define me. This, whatever this is that you write down will be an expression of who you are. Then, then tack it on the cross. And then make your way over to communion. Make sense? Now, as we go to communion, um, for those of you who aren't sure, we, we practice this, this idea of the Last Supper um, because it reminds us of the presence of Jesus because Jesus told us to do this. Um, Jesus is, is here mysteriously. And Jesus knew who he was and whose he was and where he was going. And so he could sit and he could dine with someone who would betray him and someone who would deny him. And so when we practice communion, if you are seeking Jesus, if you know Jesus, then you are welcome to partake of communion, regardless of if you've come here once or never. Well, I guess you'd have to be here once to be here. But, or it's your home. Um, you can practice this. Now, in 1 Corinthians, we hear the words of the Apostle Paul, and it's um, the words of Jesus and And he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread and he gave thanks for it. And he broke it. And he said, This bread is my body. It is broken for you. So every time you do this and you take and you eat it, remember me. same way after supper Jesus again sitting with the disciples one who would betray him and one who would deny him and he took the cup and he poured it and he said this cup is the new covenant sealed in my blood poured out for you take this and drink it and when you do remember me for every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup you proclaim the Lord's death again until he comes.
prayer and then whether you want to go and kneel or you want to go and stand over here, we're going to have our communion people come over. Come when you're ready. Um, You don't have to come, but the table is open for you to meet with Jesus, to hear that you are his, that he loves you for whose you are, not what you do. center stage in our lives. God, whether we've been successful and unsatisfied or we've been unsuccessful and miserable, I pray that we'd come to you at the table. We'd hear the words that this is my body broken for you when we take that bread and we would dip it in the cup and we would hear the words, this is my blood shed for you. So God, speak to us right now through your Holy Spirit about what we need to hear, what we need to possibly throw away, what we need to tack on the cross. So we come.